0: All right, grab your Bible. Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, somewhere in a seat uh, in front of you, you'll find one. And the book of Micah, if you're newer to the Bible, the book of Micah is this really short little book towards the end of the Old Testament, almost be- right before you get uh, to the New Testament. Um, but grab a copy of God's Word and get there today. Now, we're in this Advent series. Now, um, I, I one of the things that I think can be... Challenging, and I said this last week, especially if you've grown up kind of a lifelong churchgoer. When you come into the Christmas season, everything can become so shallow and sentimental. Uh, what, What our hope is for this Advent series is that we do not, we do not just let like shallow Christmas sentimentality rob us of some of the deep doctrine of what has happened when the Messiah, when God took on flesh and dwelt among us, when he was born in a manger. And specifically this Advent season, we're looking at how, how because Christ came, how does that inform our hope? How does that inform our peace? How does that inform our love? How does that inform our joy? Not not in a sentimental way, like, oh, that was such a nice sermon on on peace. Like, really? When we get back out into the real world and we feel anxiety skyrocketing, how does the Christmas story come to bear on that? Man, I've already broke it. I said, Brock, you're preaching a sermon on peace. Be peaceful. (laughs) Here we are. 30 seconds in, I can't do it. I'm trying, I'm trying. But but that's that's what we're going after. How does the Christmas story, especially today, come to bear on peace? Now, let's talk about uh, peace a second. Uh, Peace is a longing of every human heart. Am I right? Right? Don't we all long for peace? Like, who, given the choices, would go, you know what, I think I'll take a non-peaceful week this week. It's a longing of every human heart. And yet, you read the headlines, right? The opposite or the antithesis of peace and peaceful. As we look at at anxiety in our culture, uh, across generations, anxiety is skyrocketing, especially for our younger generations. Millennials, Gen Zs are are struggling with anxiety at an astronomical rate. How does the Christmas story lay on top of that, come to bear on that? Even, Even in leisure Even in downtime, even on vacation, when we slow our bodies, I don't know about you, but often all the chaos from the soul can just bubble to the surface as I actually slow down. Even in accomplishments, you're like, this is so depressing. I know, but hopefully by the end it won't be as depressing. Even in accomplishments, right? Some of our greatest accomplishments that we were so sure would bring peace. I don't know about you, but it's been after some of the highs of my life that I've descended in my soul to some of the lowest depths. Evan read it during worship, and he shall be called the Prince of Peace. It was announced at his birth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Where's the peace? Where's the peace? Unbelieving world is asking that when they read it. What is our answer to that? Where is the peace? Well, Today, Scripture reminds us where our peace is. That our peace isn't found in the next accomplishment, the next opportunity for leisure. That anxiety doesn't have to skyrocket. That the headlines, sure, they proclaim to us daily again and again at the lack of peace in our culture. But the Bible promises us a sure foundation of peace. Where does that come from? What does that look like? More importantly, who do we find that peace in? Who do we find that peace in? But uh, before I uh, turn us to Malachi chapter 5, um, we, we have to define what we're talking about with peace. Just as we did last week, we had to define what we're talking about with hope. We have to define what we're talking about when we talk about peace. Uh, this past summer, we preached the Beatitudes, we preached blessed are the peacemakers, and we defined peace this way. Peace is to be in harmony with, or peace is to be at rest with. So peace, when we're talking about peace, we're talking about a harmony, most importantly, between us and God, then experience between us and others. We're talking about being at rest with, with us and God, with us and others, all in favor of being in harmony and at rest with. Come on, say aye. Um, There's actually a, a greeting, a Jewish greeting. Uh, often spoken for hello and goodbye, in which they say to each other. Anyone know what that greeting is? Shalom. Shalom. It's the word we're going to come across in this text today of, of Micah chapter 5. I did tell you Micah, right? Not Malachi? Okay, all the morning I'm like, say Micah, not Malachi. We're in Micah. If you're in Malachi, you're in the wrong place, and it's all your fault. Uh, Micah chapter 5. But we're going to come across this word shalom today. Peace, rest, wholeness. Now, um, where I'm taking us to to seek to unpack this is uh, an Old Testament prophecy on the birth of Christ. Now, I'm going to pull, there's just one point to the sermon today, and the point to the sermon is this. Our peace is found in the person of Christ. That's the point to the sermon today. Again, if someone asks you at lunch what was church about, there's the answer. Our peace is found in the person of Christ. I'm going to pull that point from a a six-word statement we find in verse 5. And yet, we can't just jump to that. If I just jump us to this six-word statement in Micah 5, verse 5, that says, And he shall be their peace. We miss all of the power and understanding of how that statement is true. And so we got to go on a journey together through verses 1 through 4 in order for us to, to find the power and the substance in that verse right there. But, but let me tell you a little something about what's going on before we jump in. Anytime you come to the prophets, right? How many of you have been reading, you know, personal study in the prophets? And you're just trucking through because you're like, I'm just trying to get through, but I have no idea what's going on here, Right? If you have no contextual clue to what's going on when you read, read the prophets, you'll have no contextual clue how to apply something from it to our own life. And so uh, as we come to Micah chapter 5, you got to know, um, the people of Israel have actually been experiencing a relative time of peace. Things have, relatively speaking, compared to other parts in their history, been okay. But as Micah begins writing this letter, this, this prophecy. And as we come to chapter five here today, he's going to tell him um, non peaceful circumstances ahead, y'all. Things are about to get rough. Really, really, really rough. And he's going to say some things. And we're going to walk through some things about how rough it's about to get for God's people. But, but then he's going to lift up their eyes but he, and he's going to say, but, but, but out of Bethlehem, someone's coming. And so you got to hear it. Things are going to get rough, rough, rough. But out of Bethlehem, one is going to arise. And as he arises, peace is going to arise with him. And so I'm going to read all this. i want to pray for God's help. And then we're going to walk our way through it today. Micah 5, verse 1. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth." Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be there, and all God's people say it together, their peace. Father, help us. If there's ever a time, Lord, we need to understand peace, the source of it, where it comes from, who it's found in. Uh, Lord, it's, it's this morning, it's right now, it's this season. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. As your word goes forth, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, uh, so it, look back at verse 1 for me, because we've got to understand what Micah is proclaiming, what he's prophesying here. It says, now muster your troops. Oh, oh, what's it say in your Bible? Oh, daughter of troops. You might have a footnote next to daughter. Uh, that footnote will say, or, or city of troops. Muster your troops. Oh, daughter, oh, city of truch, troops. And then it says, like, why they're mustering the troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Remember I said, Micah's going to tell him some unpleasant days are ahead. This isn't uh, some general abstract thing. Literally, Micah's prophesying that siege is going to be laid around Jerusalem, first by the Assyrians, then later by the Babylonians. Um, and, and siege is a... To, be, to have your city laid siege against is, is hopeless. Uh, it's brutal. Surround the city. Don't let anyone out until they surrender people starve to death. That's what Mike is prophesying. He goes on to say, uh, With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. As the Babylonians came in for their siege, their attack, um, during that time, Judah's last king, Zedekiah, was literally struck by the Babylonians. And so, um, painful times are ahead. Awful times are ahead. Peaceless times are ahead, you all. And where do we look for hope in peaceless times? What's he going to say next? He says, Now let me orient your eyes to hope. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be. Ruler in Israel who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Who's that talking about? Who's it talking Loud and proud. Who's it talking about? Remember, my kids already know it at like the age of three. When daddy asked a question about what church was about, they're like, Jesus? Deal. Sweet. Jesus. That is talking about Jesus. And so um, Micah, look at what he says, though. From you, O Bethlehem of Frotha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem. Yeah, Bethlehem had been mentioned through Old Testament stories up to this point, but relatively speaking, uh, Bethlehem—what Micah's saying here, Bethlehem is saying here—Bethlehem is a place of relative insignificance. Uh, the most significant birth in history came in a at that time a place of relative insignificance. Now, does anyone know what the name Bethlehem literally means? House of house of what? House of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. So from the house of bread comes the bread of life. This is how the Lord ordains it in a relative place of insignificance. The the Lord raises up uh, this one who is to come. And now I want you to look at how this coming one is described in verses 2, 3, and 4. Uh, this coming one is described in some beautiful ways by Micah that the rest of scripture uh, rallies around and substantiates. And so I, I want your help as we walk through this. From you shall come forth for me, I'm in the middle of verse two. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be what? So he's going to be a ruler? He's going to be a ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then, then, this is really important, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This ruler is going to be a unifier. He's going to rally the people back together. He's going to be a, a unifying ruler, a unifying king. And so I I want you to notice already um, this king language, this language of majesty. And and stick with me here all the way to verse five. You still with me? You still with me? You loving, eating the word of God right now? Because all this matters as it comes to how peace applies in our life. And so he's called a ruler, he's gonna unify the people. And now look at this. Get ready to worship over this. Verse four. And he shall stand. And what's he gonna do as he stands? He's going to shepherd. He's going to shepherd his flock. How is he going to shepherd his flock? In the strength of the Lord. He's going to shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And now back to some king language. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And because this shepherd king is leading the people, look at the outcome. They shall dwell. Come on, we love this word. They shall dwell what? Doesn't that just sound good? And so I want you to see how good that would have sounded to the people who were just told there's a siege coming upon you. Right? You know, so someone walks in and and says, Thus says the Lord, Greenwood, Indiana is going to be surrounded, laid siege against, no one in, no one out, until we all starve to death or surrender. We all go, oh, peace, peace. Peace. Already, though, by verse 4, he's like, but let me tell you, one is coming. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a unifying king. He's going to be a shepherd king. And yes, though, very unpleasant, painful circumstances are ahead. A unifying shepherd king will come. And then he gets to what it says in verse 4. Actually, before I get to verse 5. This image of a shepherd... Um, Right, It it, it loses some of its power on us because we don't don't like drive around the south side of Indianapolis and see shepherds out in the fields. But even to this day, if you went to Israel, we were there in 2014, if you went to Israel, you would see shepherds. It's just part of the fabric of their life. And, and, And when the Bible brings up shepherding language, everyone knew the role of the shepherd. Lead the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock sheep, sheep without a shepherd are what? Yeah, they're dead. They're dead sheep. They ain't fast. They're not strong. Wolf comes to town, you know, they're done. Sheep without a shepherd are done. Spiritually speaking, sheep without a shepherd, we're what? We're dead. And so, This shepherd king language is so important leading up to what we find in verse 5. And now, uh, to kind of drive home the, the idea of this good shepherd that the people of God have, let me read a familiar psalm to you. And this familiar psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Does that sound peaceful? Does it sound peaceful? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? Oh, fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. We're going to come back to that. I want to read Psalm 23 over us because I want you to see that prophesied of the birth of this Messiah, he's prophesied to be the shepherd king. And so um, all of these things we find in Psalm 23, God became flesh and shepherded us this way. He's still shepherding us this way. And so this shepherd king will come and in the coming of the shepherd king, verse 5 tells the people then, and I want to I connect the dots so that we know that what he tells the people then can still be applied to us today. But verse 5 says this, and he shall be there. say it again church, he shall be their what? Their peace. And so you have this, this, this um, forward-looking. Uh, this, is, this is worded right in the future tense. He, this coming king, this coming shepherd king, he shall be their peace. So it's this Messiah shepherd king who will come one day and will be the peace of his people. Now, I, I, want, I want to jump to what, something that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want, to see, I want us to see how he wrote this in the present tense. But Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. It says, for he himself, and he's talking about Christ here, for he himself, is our peace. And so just like we talked about last week with hope, where do we find peace? Where? In who? In Jesus Christ. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the source of our peace. And again, I know, I said it last week, and I'll say it every week of this Advent series. You all walked in here knowing that. That that for many of you is not news to you. Let me ask us this. How much though are we applying what we actually know? That's where I want to get to in this series. Let's not let that stay at shallow Christmas sentimentality. How does the fact that our peace is found in the person of Christ come to bear on our life tomorrow when your boss isn't happy with you? How does that fact come to bear on our life tonight when your five-year-old's scared of the dark? How does that come to bear on our lives when we watch the stock market? Ding, 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 ding. And PTSD of 2008 starts going, whoa, 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 whoa. Sound effects included. That's what I'm after. I believe the gospel, the Christmas story, should come to bear on those realities. Do you believe that too? If he himself truly is our peace, if our peace is found in the person of Christ, that informs the way we talk to our five-year-old about why they're scared in the dark. That informs the way we talk to our teenager who's searching for acceptance and can find no social peace in their life. That informs the way we point them back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This informs the way we talk to the overachieving college student who every time an exam comes up, they want to puke with anxiety. To go, guess what? If you get a B, the peace of Christ can still reign in your heart. This informs, as I've already said, when we pick up the phone, to unwelcome news on the other side of the line. This informs financial downturns. This informs the peace, the prevailing peace that the Christian gets the privilege to walk with because God became flesh. And we can know his peace. You with me? I know, right? Easy, though, to rally around at church on Sunday. Harder when we have to live it out in the day-to-day life. And so uh, let, me, let me just, let me try to even be a bit more practical with us. Peace this Christmas. Peace this Christmas season. Personally with God, relationally with others. If what we've found here is that Jesus himself... In his coming, in us knowing him, is literally the source of our peace that transcends any uh, peaceful or non-peaceful circumstances that we're going to walk through. Because hear me now, I want to be a faithful preacher to you. The message of the gospel isn't come to Jesus and he will go before you like a peaceful plow and make sure you never go through any unpeaceful circumstances in your life. Let me just be clear, that's not what the gospel promises. How many of you, since coming to Jesus, have walked through some pretty tough stuff? Right? But what we're trying to latch our heart onto today is that through any stuff, hard, awesome, anywhere in between, the peace prevails and remains in our heart. And so personally, how do we start with an understanding of personally, how do we have peace with God I don't have these on the screen, but write them down if you take notes. Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Literally, that verse just told us how we have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified, what's it mean to be justified? To be declared righteous. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous before the heavenly father, through what? Through, Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know, sitting in this room today, you have to hear this. The only way you have peace with God is by being declared righteous through your faith in Jesus Christ, period. It's the only way you have peace with God. You will never live a good enough life to earn peace with God. Uh, You you will never live out this mentality where I did a few bad things over here in this season of my life. So I'm going to do really good things in this season of my life. And then maybe I'll have peace with God. That's not how it works. Peace with God is found. Harmony, a soul at harmony with, a soul at rest with God is found through your faith in Jesus Christ. And the work he accomplished on your behalf for that peace. He left heaven, came to earth, laid in a major, sinless life on your behalf, death that we deserve to die, laid in the tomb, rose victorious, ascended to the Father, advocating for us on our behalf. You must put your faith in the work that Jesus Christ has worked for you. There is no other avenue for peace with God other than that. You can go climb the highest mountain. You can, you, can, uh, you can fly all over the world and be exposed to all different spiritualities and all different things. And what you're going to find is your soul will not find rest and harmony with God until you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you've delayed in that, today is the day. If you've delayed in that, today is the day. I'm not going to give you some magical prayer to pray. When the Holy Spirit's drawing a heart to himself, you'll hit your knees and you'll declare and you'll bow. But if the Holy Spirit's working that in you, today's the day to have peace with God. Now, how then do people who have experienced peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, how do they relationally live that out with others? I mentioned before, we talked through the Beatitudes this summer. One of the Beatitudes says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. That once a heart has experienced peace with God, the work of that heart leads to peace relationally. And where Jesus is at work in a heart, peace flows out relationally with others. In that same Romans letter that Paul has written here, I don't have this on the screen, but Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as depends on you, live, anyone know what that says? Live what? Live peaceably with all. That's the work that Jesus accomplishes. Peace with him vertically through faith in Jesus Christ. Once we've tasted this reality that he himself is our peace, that when I know him, when his spirit is alive in my heart, I can, tr- I can walk through any valley or mountaintop with his prevailing peace because who he is has not changed. That then has ripple effects. And anytime I'm not living at peace with someone or not doing all that I can to live at peace with someone, Sin is hindering the peace-giving work that Christ has won on my behalf. Say, for instance, you're backing out of a parking spot at Chick-fil-A this week. Just for instance. And you're clearly backing out first. And the car next to you starts to back out. And then said car next to you honks at you for backing out First. And then say, for instance, you just left this wonderful time of doing premarital counseling with an awesome godly young couple. And windows get rolled down. And a kind exchange happens over who was backing out first. I'm just saying, in theory, in theory, how should the peace of Christ reigning in a Christian's heart have guided that parking lot Chick-fil-A experience, in theory, purely in theory. I know, I've talked to Pastor DJ about it. We got it. <laughs> we got it under control. But I am driving back down 65 going, Brock. Preaching on P, the peaceful pastor. How should peace come to bear on that? Y'all, this Christmas, Jesus is our peace. As you think about peace with God, peace with others, relationally, you're going to gather with family probably in a few weeks. Relationally speaking, some of that family you're super excited to gather with. Other parts of the family, maybe there's tension Maybe there's some past things that need healing, some forgiveness that needs to be sought, some forgiveness that needs to be granted. How does the fact that Jesus is our peace come to bear on that reality? He himself is our peace. Our peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ, amen? My prayer for us this week whether lying in our bed praying to the Lord, whether doing devotions with our family, whether backing out of a parking spot at Chick-fil-A, that this would be applied. Not with shallow Christmas sentimentality, but with deep personal application. Hey, Redeemer, if you would, stand your feet. I'm going to send us out of here. i want going to pray this over us as I do. Father God, you are our peace. Lord, we know that. We know that. We are, uh, and yet we're a people, Lord, who get so unpeaceful so fast. So much chaos that can be created in our heart. So much anxiety that can arise up. uh, So much anger at times, bitterness, bitterness, Lord, little things can just uh, throw us into a tailspin. Lord, please, we don't want to shallow for a sha- settle for a shallow, sentimental understanding of this. King Jesus, shepherd King Jesus, will you apply this to our heart in deep ways? Would this inform the way we work, the way we live with our family? Would this inform the way that uh, uh, the little unexpected things, when they come across our path, would this inform our response? Please, Lord. We truly want to taste and see that you yourself are our peace. And we ask for the help of your spirit in that. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, Redeemer, you're loved, you're sent. We hope you have a great week.